we tell a brand, hey, instead of spending six figures on this one famous athlete to do one or two things, spend a fraction of that. Let's go get a thousand athletes or 500 athletes, get you 2000 pieces of content, get you way more views, get you way more clicks, potential sales. And I always tell them too, there's that opportunity where when you start creating more and more videos, authentic videos, one of these might go viral. All you need is one to like do this thing where it goes 30 million, 40 million views and you pay pennies for that arguably, right? So it just creates more opportunity for that to happen. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? In short, it's a good time, a great conversation and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top creators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I am here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. Now, I don't know about you, but I am ready to chat. Are you ready to listen? Because in today's episode, we are covering... NIL for Marketers with Bill Jula. He is the founder and CEO of Postgame, a sports marketing agency specifically for college athletes, and will most definitely be a wealth of knowledge regarding the best approach for student athletes. So let's talk marketing with Bill Jula. Bill, welcome to a Let's Talk Marketing podcast. I'm excited to have you on here. I'm excited about all the guests always because we get to dive into some marketing concepts. And today what we're going to cover is NIL. So this is going to be very juicy and really what marketers should know when they're approaching student athletes. So welcome on to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Kat. Appreciate you having me on and having me have the opportunity to talk about postgame. Yeah, absolutely. I told you before we even started recording, I got a lot of questions about postgame, but I know that I want us to really have the marketers who are listening walk away with like those insights and those nuggets. But before we get to that, let's get to know you a little bit. I'd love to hear what your first role was and conversely, what is your current role? Sure. So the first official marketing role was working for the Tampa Bay Rays in Major League Baseball. Fresh out of my master's degree from University of Kentucky, where I was working in athletics, but not in a marketing capacity. It was the third season in the history of the franchise. And I was kind of brought down to Tampa to try to mend fences, I guess, a little bit was part of the marketing role. The organization and the powers that be there, the ownership, I guess they'd made some big missteps and mistakes with people in the community. I guess the owner at the time just did things and said things, I think, that turned a lot of the business community off. So part of my role was coming down and trying to mend that fence, going out to Chambers of Commerces and Kiwanis Clubs and all that stuff and basically trying to say, hey, no, this is a really good franchise. It's a good team. They believe in this county and that county and all that good stuff. And part of that role also involves some sales and trying to sell corporate sponsorships and suites and all that stuff. And to wrap it up a little bit, it was arguably one of the worst nine months of my life. (laughs) Oh, that is not what I expected you to say. Yeah, you would think, right? Like kind of the sales marketing role working for Major League Baseball would be amazing. I know. Out the gate to you from a marketing role, I would think there are a lot of people that would kill for that. Yeah, no, it was bad. The damage that was done in the community was really hard to overcome. The team itself was god awful. They finished the year 60 wins, 100 losses. They were out of the race from like week one. It was bad. So to try to go sell something that was so broken was really difficult. And then some of the people in upper management 
I hate to dump on anybody. It was 20 something years ago, but they just didn't know what they were doing. So on a good note, it kind of gave me some opportunity to almost be an entrepreneur because there was this opportunity to go out and try to create new ticket packages and new marketing strategies to try to work around all of this and see if I could figure out a way to make things better. Very, very difficult when you're operating on an organization at that level in a broad way. But yes, yeah, so it was a tough season. Didn't last long. I got out of there. Ever since then, I became an entrepreneur and it has involved marketing, obviously, to some degree. It always has to as an entrepreneur, right? At that point, you're also not just selling your product, you're selling yourself. Someone's got to be able to believe in the entrepreneur that they have solid ideas and can execute. There are a lot of people walking around calling themselves entrepreneurs that have really great ideas, but really fall short on the execution part. So I think it takes a good balance. What are you doing right now that you love? But conversely, what would you pluck out? Like this would be perfect if I could just remove this aspect of my current role. So my current role right now, I'm CEO and one of the co-founders of Postgame, NIL agency, works with brands and college athletes, obviously, to do primarily influencer campaigns. And part of my role as CEO, we divide the company up in a couple of different ways, but my role is really more on the marketing, vision, tech side, managing campaigns on the brand side. We kind of divide it that way. And then the other side is more sales driven. The thing I really, really love, aside from owning something and seeing it do well and all of that, the obvious, the thing I really, really like about this business is the results. And when I say results, it's not necessarily the results we're getting for the brands that we're working with. It's the ability to see these athletes earn money finally. And to be a part of this in the history of college sports, this is like a huge moment. And we're one of maybe a handful of companies that are playing this major, major role in this with college athletes. So it's like every other day when we're doing payments out to athletes for doing social media posts promoting brands, most people would say, oh, okay, money's going out the door and you're paying these athletes and it's working into your margins and all that. I look at it completely opposite. I'm like, man, this college football player who a year ago or two years ago couldn't make a dime just made a thousand bucks, just made $2,000. And that has real meaning and an impact on a lot of their lives because a lot of them come from backgrounds where that didn't exist, right? So that's probably the thing I have found sort of surprisingly that is just really, really enjoyable about this. The thing I'd like to pluck out We've gotten bigger. We're up to 10, 12 employees now. The logistics of all of that, of just managing more people, managing payroll, managing legal and bookkeepers now. The first year and a half, we were winging it and we were just bringing in money and we were like just hiring here and there. And now it's like it's all kind of getting more buttoned up. So just that kind of stuff, those tasks, you know, they don't get a lot of fanfare. Like nobody sees you at 11 o'clock at night or midnight doing that kind of work, but it's got to get done. And until we get so big that I can hire 20 people to do all this, a lot of that stuff still falls on me and my co-founders. And it's a good problem to have. It is a, definitely a good problem to have. I always like to think of that from like building a house perspective. What you're talking about, what you would pluck out is really honestly the plumbing and the electricity because those are behind the walls needed for sure. But until you do have the money, it's sucking up your bandwidth. And this is the analogy, right? Like YouTubing, electricity and plumbing and all of that stuff. You also have such a great product in general that I'm sure that it'll be no time before that is not on your plate. But again, I'm probably skipping ahead because I do want to talk about post-game and NIL. But because you're in just kind of this space as well, too, I'm really curious 
What social networks do you go to for inspiration, education, and entertainment? I don't know if you're on social. For some guests, it's been podcasts, their old school reading books, audio books. It could be newsletters, but I think that we all tend to gravitate towards a social network for one, if not all of these. So where do you go for inspiration? I can refer back to the previous question too, a little bit here. So the working on all the plumbing kind of thing, I have two or three of my employees went out and flew to Houston, went to the final four, and they were able to yeah. do it as part of what we're doing with post game. It made it easy for them to get in the game and do whatever. And I'm sitting there going, they're enjoying all of this, but I'm still back here. Having started this thing, like I'm the one over here working at midnight while you guys are at the game. And to kind of go along with that, to your question, because we're in this influencer space and we're so heavy every day, all day in social media, tracking what the athletes are doing there and conveying all of that to the brands and everything. It's really funny. The second I can get away from being on social media, the last thing I do when I get home is get back on Instagram or get back on Twitter or whatever. So I use Instagram the most. My son plays uh, baseball up in Tennessee and I kind of use it to put his highlights out there. And so some of my family can't get to see him, get to see some clips here and there and stuff. So I use it more for family purposes as opposed to trying to build myself up as a brand, which is I probably should be doing the other, but I try to keep that stuff more personal because everything else I'm doing is so public in a business way, right? So yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I use Instagram for a little bit of fun. I don't use LinkedIn nearly like I should. My previous business that I sold a few years ago was kind of a competitor to LinkedIn. I was always like anti-LinkedIn because of what I was doing to compete against them. (laughs) And they probably flagged me inside the system. So like, I don't really have the experience I think some people have inside of LinkedIn that you're supposed to have. I just kind of keep going forward without them. Well, then where do you go to get inspired or where do you go to be entertained? Yeah. Where do you go to get inspired? I honestly don't know. You're walking around in this world uninspired. I find that very hard to believe. (laughs) I mean, inspired personally or inspired kind of business wise, because I was talking to one of my co-founders about that. And with this business, we are so head down blocking and tackling every day to try to be the winner here, right? Or the leader. And what I've found is the second I start paying too much attention to what everybody else is doing or sort of all these headlines about what's going on in the industry, which I can tell you half of them are inflated. Like we're doing this. We know what this is about. It's one of these things where it's like for this particular business, I've found it more important to stay really locked in and really focused and not let myself get distracted chasing shiny objects. So the inspiration, I guess, really comes from seeing the wins that we're having internally here and the product and the system working, as opposed to looking elsewhere to say, what's the answer here? Maybe it's a little arrogant, but I feel like we do have the answer and I see it working and I want to like stay the course. You know, I'm in marketing and my family thinks I'm on social media all day long and I am, but not for posting. And if I am posting, there is an experiment behind it, right? So it's tough as a marketer, especially in a digital landscape to turn that off. But I can appreciate the fact that you're still finding inspiration from the wins that you're getting and you're on social. So you're not necessarily using social for inspiration and education or entertainment, which I'm all for that as well, too. So this is all to say good answer, regardless of what you think. Now, how do you, because we're both in this digital world, everything's changing so quickly. And I would imagine, especially with, you know, the NIL ruling, not 
honestly being that long ago that so much has changed. So how do you stay up to date on trends? Is there a newsletter that you go to? Is there a group? Do you just have alerts? How do you stay up to date on trends? Yeah, I would say my primary source for that is Twitter. Twitter does a pretty good job where there's some people that I'll follow that when something's breaking as far as laws that are being passed in different states and stuff, there's plenty of people that I follow that they'll put that stuff out there and we'll be like, oh, you know what? Alabama just passed a new law that lets the rules become a little looser for those athletes or state of Maryland's really locking down and not letting athletes do this with these brands and just different things like that. So I get a lot of that just honestly through Twitter. We hear about stuff too. We're obviously dealing with brands and athletes, but through some of the brand partnerships we have, we interact with some schools. And so we'll hear from like compliance people, what they're looking for. So we just generally have a pretty good sense of what's going on in the industry. And quite frankly, we made a pretty good guess on this the day it got passed back in July of 2021 was that whatever rules were in place day one, we're going to start to just loosen. And I think that's what everybody's seeing. And so we approached it that way where everybody else was really being buttoned up about everything to the point that I think it could cripple and create paralysis in your business. We sort of came at it a little more rogue style, knowing what we thought was going to happen, which is what's happening now. So our guess on this stuff has been pretty right. Nice. Okay. So actually, that's a really good segue because I am really curious about that. And you just touched on that as well. Since 2021, since the ruling came through, what has been the evolution? As a marketer, what should I know about NIL today? for 2023 versus 2021. From a marketer's perspective, or if you were a brand kind of looking at this two years ago versus now, a couple of things. One, the quality and caliber of the content that these athletes are creating has gotten significantly better and it's really, really good. I don't know if July of 2021, how many athletes had the savviness to create good content that could be effective. And within a few short months here, two years, you can see it just compounding itself. And a lot of that is what they're seeing through post game. We repost and they tag us. And so there's a ton of content that's just through our feed is just showing up every day. And you can just tell it's just building off of itself every month. Like what was good content July of 2021 wouldn't even make our feed now versus what these athletes are creating now. It's just getting better and better. They're understanding what brands are looking for. We're probably doing a better job of communicating how they should be doing that and how it should be more brand aligned and all those things. So I think that's the first thing. I would tell a brand, hey, these aren't purely amateurs anymore. They're getting really, really good at this. The other thing is the engagement rates that they get far surpass the average person and the actually average or professional influencer. A lot of times you can spot an influencer a mile away, right? It's like, okay, he's got 500,000 followers. They're promoting a product. We get what you're doing. And the engagement sometimes isn't very good on that. And the cost for a brand can be really, really high. These athletes, particularly when you do it at scale, like we're doing it, you get a ton of stuff that really comes across authentic. Their friends, fans, followers are truly interested in them because they are famous, right? As opposed to like an influencer that's made up influencer, so to speak. These people have had fans since they were maybe in sixth, seventh, eighth grade that have been following them. So what they do matters. So I'd tell brands that too, the engagement you're going to get out of them and the ROI that the brands can get off of them is tremendous. The last thing, and this is more post-game related as opposed to maybe industry, but I think we are changing the industry a little bit, 
is we approach this more at a scaled approach. So like we tell a brand, hey, instead of spending six figures on this one famous athlete to do one or two things, spend a fraction of that. Let's go get a thousand athletes or 500 athletes, get you 2000 pieces of content, get you way more views, get you way more clicks, potential sales. And I always tell them too, there's that opportunity where when you start creating more and more videos, authentic videos, one of these might go viral. All you need is one to like do this thing where it goes 30 million, 40 million views and you pay pennies for that arguably, right? So it just creates more opportunity for that to happen. And in that respect, and I'll stop being long-winded, in that respect, I think from an industry and a marketer standpoint, I feel like we're sort of flipping influencer on its head a little bit in the sense that where you used to think about it in small terms of one or two people, no, like let's think about this at scale every time. Yeah, we can go work with the most famous college athlete. Everybody can do that. But the ability to do this with 500 female softball players at a time or entire baseball teams and you know things like that, that's what we do. That's what we came into this industry knowing was going to be a chance to be a winner in this. It's very difficult to do, which is why you don't see a lot of companies doing it or doing it successfully. If I can disseminate everything that you're saying, I heard through very top things as far as what has really evolved or changed. Actually, let's say evolved, not necessarily changed. And one of that is that content is getting better from those students who are engaging with it. The second one, it seems that you're getting a higher engagement rate from these NIL athletes from a brand perspective. So brands should definitely be on alert for that. And then lastly, what you're providing at Postgame is being able to scale. But I also heard you're being very strategic as well, too. It's taking a look at the budget and saying, what can we do with this? And how does it serve both you and these student athletes? So that's how I would sum up. So whether you were long-winded or not, I took away the nuggets. Being long-winded, let you just summarize me. Exactly. You need to come work for me, actually. I need a hire because you dumbed it down really, really well there. I am really interested, though, in understanding what a marketer should know when approaching a student athlete. Because truthfully, you know, in a previous podcast, I interviewed a few people for NIL and there is the thought of like, all right, these are students and their athletes. Those are two very big jobs on top of that being a content creator, too. So as a marketer, what should I know before I even engage with any sort of student athlete so that I'm setting myself up for success and it can be a fruitful partnership? The first thing I'd tell you as a brand or a marketer is don't bother going to them direct, come through post game. That's not even a sales pitch, but that's what we do. We'll do this for you, right? And we take the load off of you trying to do that because to your point, about athletes being students and athletes and all the challenges involved in trying to work through their schedule, which starts at 5 a.m. oftentimes and goes to 11 p.m., right? But that's what we know. We know it really, really well. We know how to work around it and within it and everything. So I'm joking, but I'm not. I would say, yeah, if you're going to work with one or two athletes, sure, agents can help you kind of work through that stuff too. But if you're going to try to do anything at any kind of scale, that's where we come in. I would tell you, tell the brand, tell the marketer, with this particular type of influencer, I would come into it having looser expectations around content and being too prescriptive about what you're trying to accomplish. So like in the past, you might have worked with an influencer and that's all they do for a living, maybe, right? So like you can send them a campaign brief that's incredibly detailed and they'll more than likely get it done and follow along and do a good job. But when you're talking about an athlete who has this 
demanding schedule and you're talking about doing it with 10, 20, 100, 1,000 athletes, you have to have an expectation that not every little thing is going to get done correctly all the time with all of them. But if you come into it going, all right, I know I'm going to work with 100 athletes. I know 95 of them are going to complete the requirements. And I understand that 80 of them are going to do it perfect. But these other 15, maybe they didn't do it perfect, but they did some really good content. Like find the value in all of it in totality and don't get stuck in the weeds trying to just make sure every little aspect of the campaign was run perfect because that's not going to happen necessarily. If that is the expectation, then this might not be the market you should come into. You know, I kind of tell our salespeople that all the time. You have to frame this a little bit differently than what they typically expect. And the brands that get it, they get it. Like they get a ton of content. They repurpose it for themselves. They put it in their own apps. None of the details kind of matter sometimes. It's like, what did we get out of this? You know, we got views, clicks, sales, great content. We're using it in our own paid media now. Coming to it with that goal, it's a winner, no doubt. It's the marketers or the brands that they just get stuck in these really, really finite details where you go, nah, maybe you should just go back and work with the one-offs you know, and do it that way. Yeah. Well, I'm also kind of curious because of their demanding schedule and because sports have seasons, do you recommend that marketers leverage athletes when their season is going on? Or do you think that you can leverage student athletes for marketing campaigns even outside of the baseball season, the football season, the volleyball season and whatnot? Yeah, a bit of both. And it's kind of sports specific in how I'll answer this. So I think from what we've seen, football during football season is a little more challenging. Working with football players during football season, a little more challenging. Most of the other sports during season, nothing's off the table. Like we can get it done. Female athletes in particular are fantastic. They find the time. They create great content. They really put some effort into it. So I would say generally female athletes in season, out of season, it's a goldmine. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Male athletes in season, a little trickier. Football, definitely way more trickier. That being said, though, and we've just discovered this kind of recently, and this comes back to postgame and strategizing a little bit with them, is being prepared to take advantage of big moments that can happen during a season and being able to react quickly. And I'll give you an example. There's a kid in the Final Four recently, Lamont Butler hit that big shot for San Diego State hit it at the buzzer. And we were already working with Urban Outfitters and we had our guys in Houston at the Final Four. And we immediately got in contact with his representative. And that night after the shot, we had him in the hotel lobby wearing Urban Outfitters gear and cutting a promo. Because we were there, we were ready. We've worked with Urban for a year and a half now. We were able to call them up and say, you want to make this happen? And they're real easy for us to work with. Like We made it all happen. I say on the one hand, yeah, not in-season sometimes is easier. But if you're ready and you got the right client and the right athlete, you can do some really cool stuff as long as you're prepared to do it. They'll always find some time, right? If the dollar amount's right, they'll carve out 20 minutes to go in the lobby and do something. Well, I mean, they have to get dressed and eventually they're going to have to leave. So (laughs) I feel like it's a match made in heaven for sure. Yes. Are there types of partnerships that student athletes kind of gravitate towards? And what I mean by that is, are they more prone to one-offs or are you looking to pair them up? with a brand from a longer term partnerships, let's say three, six months, what works well? Or is there anything that 
this is the sweet spot when working with these collegiate athletes. Is there a sweet spot when it comes to the partnerships? To answer your question, I'd say all of them would love to have long-term partnerships with big brands. I think they all come into it probably with that mindset. The reality of it is for most of them, and a lot of that's determined by the brand, obviously, but for a lot of them, every one of these campaigns, they jump in with us, whether it's a short-term one-month thing or two to three months or whatever. We kind of describe this to them this way is that and they're athletes, so they get this, is to view it like a tryout. You know, like your first time doing a campaign with a brand is an opportunity for you to really crush it and get their attention. It's not so much about how many dollars you're going to make this time around. Yeah, we want to get you as high as we can, but there's a bigger picture here, right? Yeah, you're going to make a couple hundred bucks. But if you do a really good job, the brand is looking. And so that longer term stuff typically happens on the brand side when they do see an athlete that really creates some good content that is perfectly in line with what they're looking for. And that's what we end up seeing happen. It's like a lot of these one-offs or they'll say, hey, post game, let's do another campaign. Can you include those three athletes in this one again? Let's see them do something else. And then it's like one of them just knocks it out of the park again and they go, okay, can we talk to them now and do something more longer term? So it kind of works more from the brand side. It's up to the athlete to produce some good stuff. The other thing we tell these athletes too is just because you're the star quarterback at Auburn or wherever, right? Like, yeah, in Auburn, Alabama and other places, you're famous. But at the end of the day, to the brand, you're one of a thousand out there that have the same type of accolades. And at the end of the day, they're like, well, can he or she create really good content? Do they have high engagement? And did they move the needle for us in some way with their fans and their followers? You could win the Heisman Trophy, but if you can't get those things done for a brand, they may not even consider you. Yeah. So a bit of a numbers game in that regard. Okay. So there is no sweet spot, but it, the consistency of churning out good content or meeting metrics or objectives that the brands are coming to the table with is going to be really key for ultimately the success for the brand and the athlete. You said something about tryouts, which I love because I cannot remember what article I read. Maybe it was the Sarah V article about how you guys helped CeraVe with athletes as well. But you guys have a, and I don't know if you still have this, kind of a tryout yourself where athletes are meant to post for post game first so that you can also use that information when you're speaking with brands as well. Like, hey, this is the type of content that they do. This is what the impressions engagement looks like. Do you guys still implement that as part of your, I don't know if it's quote unquote onboarding of new athletes? Yeah, at different time periods throughout the year, we'll be running those campaigns. I love it. It's kind of a way we're like, we're almost like eating our own dog food to some degree, right? So we're out there pitching to brands, hey, these athletes work to help grow your brand and your visibility. Well, that's us too, right? So we're like, hey, let's send you a t-shirt, go do something with it, get 10,000 views. That's benefiting you, athlete, because you get an opportunity to prove yourself, but it's also helping post-game just continue to get the word out to all of the athletes and schools and brands and all that. So that has worked really well. For all reasons, we've had some athletes. So one of our big partners is Adidas. We run a whole ambassador program for them, for all of their athletes at all their schools. And early on in this thing, we had a track athlete at Rutgers right around the time that we signed this deal with Adidas. And he had done a t-shirt campaign with us where we literally just sent him like a $10 post-game t-shirt and he created incredible content. Didn't have an impressive following, like 3,000 followers or something, but he created great content. We signed this deal with Adidas. Rutgers is an Adidas school. They immediately say, who do you know that at these schools that can create good content? We throw him up on the list. They're like, yeah, we like that. Let's go. 
he has been, I think, in every one of these sponsored content, paid content campaigns we've run for Adidas outside of the affiliate program we run. I think he's been selected for every one. So it's like what started out as a free $10 t-shirt buyout has made him thousands of dollars now through multiple campaigns. And we've now included him in campaigns with other brands that we're working with because he's just done a good job. He's one example. There's now like 50 of those where it's like, yeah, that person or that athlete did a great job with this t-shirt or this hoodie we sent. They're on the radar now. And the program we put in place is great for another reason is like we have tens of thousands of athletes in the system. There's never enough brand opportunities for all of them to benefit. So this gives hundreds or thousands of them at a time an opportunity to do something, make some money. If they do a good job, not only will they get on our radar, but like we'll bonus them. Hey, you wore the hoodie. You did this. You got 50,000 views. We're going to reuse that content. If you let us on our side, can we pay you? Yeah. We'll just start throwing money at the athletes because they just did a great job. And again, more importantly, they got on the radar now and they've elevated themselves ahead of the other 20,000 that are below them who haven't done it that we know nothing about. I just love that as just kind of a marketing model in general. And I think that there are a lot of brands that should be able to walk away from this conversation saying like, hey, how can I incorporate that, right? When you're looking at a D2C company, it is about product gifting and you're product gifting, but in a totally different way, in a way that's going to benefit them while also paying into when it's working, right? Like that bonus structure is phenomenal. Why wouldn't they knock it out of the park? I do have one additional question before we start to wrap it up because I know that we're starting to hit time, but I'm really curious if you are doing this, how are you guys supporting and educating the athletes on content creation? Or do you find that they educate themselves? I'm glad you said that. Yeah, that's the answer. We do a little bit of that. I mean, in our campaign instructions, when we roll out a campaign, we give them all the details and suggestions and tips, and we'll put together a style guide sometimes, or the brand will provide that. A lot of times those things to me are, they become very, again, it goes into the weeds and the details of like all of this descriptive stuff about how you should do this and whatever. It's all great and we do it. But I think where they learn is honestly just visually go on our feed, go on our tag section, scroll for three hours and just sit there and look at thousands of pieces of content of what your teammates and you know the people you're playing against are doing and start to pick out what you're capable of doing and what you like and then just emulate it. Yeah. Look for the best of the best. I think that's how they get educated is just scrolling and looking at what we're doing. Scrolling and being on social media and learning from each other. I like that. You've given me so much time, way more time than I had told you I was going to take. So I have one final question for you. If you knew then what you know now, what's the marketing advice that you give to yourself? You know what? I would say stay the course, stay focused, stick to what's working. I might have said this earlier, but don't chase these shiny objects that are popping up all around you that look like good ideas. Because what ends up happening is you get distracted and you start to lose sight of what you're doing as a business or as a marketer. And that's what we're doing here. And that's why, you know, I kind of answered your question about like what social media do I use and things like that. It's like we're so head down succeeding at what we're doing. It's like why start to let yourself get distracted by other things that you could be doing? Yeah. Stay the course. I've done that in, in past businesses and particularly when you get involved in tech, it's really easy to just start developing a new feature here and a new feature there. And you hear three customers say they want this. And so you go and you put your dev team on it and you start to build something new. And 
and you wake up all of a sudden, you're like, we got 50 things here. Nobody's using them and nobody really understands what we do anymore either. So staying very, very focused. That's what I would tell myself 15, 20 years ago is stop chasing everything. Stay locked in with what your plan was and see it through. There's going to be times where outside forces maybe make things more difficult or you're winning or you're losing or whatever. If you know your vision's right, do your best to just stay focused. I love that advice and I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's going to help you be strategic, create your North Star, follow the North Star. It's going to remove distractions and help you achieve your goals. Well, Bill, I cannot thank you enough for taking so much time with me. I've had a blast talking to you. I still have a million and 12 questions, but that's okay. That's a good position to be in. Maybe I'll have to bring you on again so that we can dive a little bit deeper into those as well. But thank you so much. Hey, thank you for having me on and happy to hop on again. Thanks. I hope that you found that episode just as insightful as I did. I think the world of NIL as it pertains to influencer marketing, to marketing in general, it's going to be a game changer, honestly, for the upcoming years. I've got some key takeaways for you. So number one, as a marketer in 2023, you should really know just kind of the quality of content created by NIL athletes has significantly improved over the last two years. And these athletes are becoming savvier at creating content that aligns with a brand's goals. But honestly, more importantly, brands should also be aware of NIL athletes. They have a higher engagement rate than average influencers, which is huge. It's all about engagement, right? Making them a valuable marketing asset. You're not going to want to pass up on them. Companies like Postgame are really changing the industry by taking a scaled approach to working with NIL athletes, creating more opportunities for brands to work with a larger group of athletes and then potentially go viral. Key takeaway number two. Marketers should not approach student athletes directly, but work through companies like Postgame that really understand the unique demands of a student athlete's schedule. This goes without saying, I think as marketers, we're busy. They're busy also on top of being top athletes, on top of their schoolwork as well, on top of also being content creators. Additionally, marketers should have realistic expectations about the content produced by the student athletes. Like I said, they're juggling multiple responsibilities and they may not be able to deliver perfect execution every time. Give them some grace. You should also consider leveraging student athletes for marketing campaigns, both during and outside of their sports season, depending on the sport and the individual athlete, of course. Key takeaway number three. For student athletes, long-term partnerships with big brands are what they're looking for but most campaigns start as short-term partnerships. Athletes need to create good content, have high engagement, and meet metrics to attract brands for those longer-term partnerships. It's a numbers game. And even if an athlete has accolades, they need to prove themselves through their content. Athletes go through tryouts where they post content after games to help the agency evaluate their performance and pitch them to brands. It's such a great strategy on the post-game side. The agency also uses this data to really show the brands the kind of content that the athlete can produce. So it's a great way to market post-game. It's a great way to market your NIL athletes. So I love that. I'd love to hear what nuggets of insights you walked away with from today's episode. 
Subscribe and follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. Let me know if you want more information. I am obsessed with them. Check out the episode page to learn a little bit more about Bill and how you can get in touch with me too. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.